0: And welcome to another edition of the Game Changers Clinical Conversations. I'm your host, Jeff Wall, and I uh, hope you're having a great week, whatever you're doing. And as uh, we kind of open up all around the country, I hope you're getting a chance to maybe get outside and do some, some good stuff. Uh, as I've said in previous uh, podcasts, um, I am hoping to not make this a COVID 24-7 show sort of thing. So uh, fortunately, I didn't have to this week because we're going to be talking about uh, the brand new American College of Rheumatology Guidelines for Gout, and uh, if any uh, Listeners, are former students of mine, or know my research at all. They know that gout's an area that I'm very interested in, that I've I've actually done some research in, and I think it's it's an area that pharmacists can definitely make a big impact on. And there's actually evidence suggesting that we can we can do so. So I was excited to see uh, the the new 2020 guidelines for gout by the American College of Rheumatology that just came out actually in the last three or four weeks. And so yes, between all the the COVID uh, uh, papers that are being flown at us at a thousand miles an hour. Uh, you know there are other diseases that are still being studied and, and so being uh, written about and and gout's definitely one of them so uh, if you're uh, going if, if you're a pharmacist who really works in the community in, in particular you're going to be dealing with these patients a lot and so I thought it was it would be a good idea to just take a few minutes and kind of you know go over some of the highlights of gout and and where pharmacists in particular I think can, can make a big big impact and what the guidelines have have changed there's been a huge number of changes, but there's been some studies I think definitely since the last of guidelines that have come out that kind of help us figure out how to, how to best treat these patients. So, um, gout is something, again, you're going to run into really no matter what area of pharmacy you practice in. It's, it's actually the most common form of inflammatory arthritis, affects about, about 9 million Americans in the United States. Um, and because gout is one of the many diseases that kind of falls into that metabolic syndrome type category that, that we, we all know about, um, it is very commonly associated with type 2 diabetes. It's very commonly associated with hypertension and dyslipidemia, and of course, very closely associated with with obesity. And so as the obesity epidemic uh, has really taken off in the United States, so has the incidence of gout. And so gout uh, uh, numbers have significantly gone up in the last 20 years in the United States. And with that, uh, um, our ability to treat these patients, we've learned some stuff. Um, We still have a lot to go, I think a long way to go with doing this. But but, uh, I think, again, pharmacists can play a big role in doing this. The guidelines uh, by ACR, are, we're done as, as most guidelines today are where they have a, a group of experts and the uh, statistician a couple other people on their on their team they ask specific pico questions instead of just kind of a random you know here's our recommendations and then they grade the evidence for their recommendation using the grade system and uh, the the big thing that most of these uh, guidelines do nowadays is that if they strongly recommend something that generally means that, that they they think it's a really good idea that it's usually done if they conditionally recommend something, they say, well, it just kind of depends on the patient's situation. And that's the same if, if they go against things as well. And largely, that, that, uh, that um, uh, strength of recommendation is based on, on the clinical evidence and studies that have been published. So uh, some of the big questions that the new guidelines talk about is, uh, first up, you know, when to initiate pharmacologic urate-lowering therapy. And in the United States, of course, allopurinol is the big dog, right? I mean, it's the one that 90, probably, percent of, of patients with gout are on. And they actually say, and this hasn't changed a ton from the last set of guidelines, that you really should consider initiating urate-lowering therapy uh, in patients who have any TOFI, so that, that collection of, of, of uh, subcutaneous tissue that's got uric acid Crystals in it, uh, any evidence of radiographic damage to joints, or more than two, greater than or equal to two gout flares a year, and that's that's the same as the last year's guidelines as well. But they also say that that it is reasonable to consider in patients who ha- even ha- has one. Uh, a, a flare, but but has less than two a year. So if you had someone who even had, say, one a year, they would say that it's it's reasonable to consider urate therapy in these patients uh, because the benefit does seem to outweigh the risk 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 in those patients. So, of course, allopurinol is is the, 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 the drug we almost always use in the United States. Um, it's been shown to work in a wide variety of different causes of, of, of high levels of uric acid, and despite its reputation as, as being, you know, maybe not a well-tolerated Drug in fact, allopurinol is very well tolerated, um, and um, is actually the 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 preferred first line agent by the guidelines over all other agents, and that's strongly recommended. And that's including patients with chronic kidney disease. Uh, Chronic kidney disease patients have often it's often been thought that uh, allopurinol is more dangerous in that population. They may have an increased risk of of uh, bad side effects from it. But more recent studies suggest that's probably not true. And so they actually do recommend allopurinol first line now. I think one area where pharmacists can really get involved in this is that I think we're all we all are kind of used to seeing the the gout patient who their primary care provider has slapped them on 300 milligrams of, of allopurinol and patted them on the head and probably has never checked another uric acid ever again or never never checked a creatinine or anything like that and that is exactly the wrong way to go about treating uh, a gout patients with urate lowering therapy. We really need uh, to treat to target and, and the guidelines again re re uh, uh, um, um, emphasize that. That's an important uh, therapeutic principle in patients with gout that you want to monitor these patients, not you know all the time, but you do want to monitor them regularly for their urate levels and try to push their serum uric acid levels less than 6 milligrams per deciliter. And the reason for that is that is the, the critical point at which uh, uh, um, urate crystals uh, tend to uh, uh, supersaturate and then can drop out of solution and then form the, the, the basis for the inflammatory reaction that occurs in gout. Uh, studies are... Are pretty clear that 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 if you can drop uh, serum uric acid levels below six, the incidence of tophi, the incidence of, of recurrent gouty arthritis flares plummets. And so we really need to be we really need to be uh, vigilant about doing that. But what if you had a patient who's on 300 milligrams of allopurinol and their serum uric acid level is eight? You know, Well, it's like, well, I can't go any higher. And the answer to that is, yes, you can go higher. And, and again, even though the, the, I think in the United States, we're really used to seeing 300 milligrams as kind of the single dose for uh, doses above it are actually uh, well tolerated, even in patients with uh, moderate uh, uh, to severe chronic kidney disease, as long as you just slowly go up and watch them. And so you actually can uh, slowly escalate above 300 milligrams of, of allopurinol in patients to get to that, that target of, of, of less than six. And you just have to watch them in particular, watching them for the the allopurinol hypersensitivity syndrome, which is probably the most feared side effect of allopurinol. And it's kind of this you know systemic uh, uh, hypersensitivity reaction where they get a fever and swollen joints and a rash and all of those stuff. And it, it can be very serious, but uh, 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 its incidence is probably overstated based on previous studies and and. And we know now if we kind of you know start low and go slow with allopurinol almost everybody can tolerate it quite well. We do have other choices for urethlurine therapy, but Fibuxostat is probably the, the, the second one that uh, is, is recommended, and and it is probably a more potent uh, 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 xanthine oxidase inhibitor than allopurinol, so you're probably more likely to get to goal, but it's much more expensive, and uh, it was recently uh, found that in patients with coronary disease, it actually increases mortality, and, and to that point, the uh, guidelines uh, that, that just came out in 2020 Actually said that you know if you have a patient with coronary disease uh, that's on fibuxis, that you should probably get them off of it and get them either back onto allopurinol or some other treatment long term because of this of this uh, risk of increased mortality in, in, in coronary uh, artery disease patients. So, so again, your lowering therapy is a, a pretty important piece I think of, of gout treatment. And and uh, again, I think I think we're all used to seeing people on kind of that standard dose of allopurinol, and it's just that's not true. You can start uh, you. Should probably start low in most patients with with gout when you're first initiating allopurinol. But uh, as long as they don't get a rash from it, don't get real bad stomach upset, something like that, you can titrate it very nicely uh, um, up to you know in some cases you know sometimes even five six hundred milligrams of of allopurinol if that's what it takes to get their their target uh, uh, urate level below six milligrams per deciliter. The other thing pharmacists can remind, especially primary care docs of, because I think rheumatologists are fairly aware of this information, but sometimes I think primary care docs aren't, is that when you're initiating uh, allopurinol or any urate lowering therapy, you probably should also administer concomitant anti-inflammatory prophylaxis therapy for three to six months after you initiate therapy. And the reason for that is that when uh, uh, patient's uh, um, serum urate levels drop suddenly, that actually can precipitate a new flare. And so to prevent that from happening... Um, um, uh, the, the guidelines, you know, recommend either low dose colchicine, low dose nonsteroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, or low dose prednisone. Um, it, it just again, for three to six months um, uh, after initiating uh, urate therapy, to decrease the risk of these rebound flares that can occur. So, uh, again, a lot of times, I think, I think. Um, uh primary care docs are unaware of this recommendation and so if you're working in the community and 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 you see a new prescription for alopurinol and you know it's their first prescription and they're not on this concomitant therapy i think it's probably worth a phone call uh, uh to the pr- provider and say you know you know this isn't you know this isn't joe Schmo at 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 xyz pharmacy saying this this is what the 2020 acr guidelines are saying and it does prevent the rebound flares in 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 these patients so uh so that's something else the guidelines talk a lot about now here's a key piece. I think that it's always nice to when when our profession gets a call out, and they did get a call out in the 2020 guidelines. So uh, one of the one of the uh, uh, recommendations in the guidelines, uh, actually, I'll just quote from it, says, "Delivery of an augmented protocol of urate lowering therapy, dose management by non-physician providers to optimize the treat-to-target strategy that includes patient education, shared decision making, and protocols, is recommended for patients receiving this." And they call out both nurses and pharmacists that, that we can uh, uh, basically work with, with primary care providers or, or or even rheumatologists to help with education and to help with a protocol that helps to adjust urate-lowering therapy as needed. And, and that's based on a couple of studies, actually, that, that have been done uh, with pharmacists in, in, a comu- in a community or ambulatory care setting where they basically you know uh, were aggressive uh, when they needed to be about adjusting urate-lowering therapy and getting people to go. And they found that they actually did a better job of that than primary care physicians did. So it's always nice when pharmacists get a call out in 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 uh, medical guidelines and so that that was nice to see so, what are the, some of the other uh, issues that the guidelines kind of point out? Uh, uh, one is is that uh, uh, speaking to the safety of allopurinol, and we spoke briefly before about the allopurinol hypersensitivity syndrome, uh, that syndrome and your uh, patient's uh, risk for it is actually genetically determined. So, this is one of those areas where I think we actually have some solid data showing that pharmacogenomics can actually play an actual role in care of patients. Um, if, I'll have to admit, I'm, I'm a bit of a, of a genomics nihilist. I, I, I think there's a lot of Promise for pharmacogenomics, but so far it seems that when when actually looked at in, in clinical trials outside of the world of oncology, uh, it, it doesn't seem like like uh, 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 genomics has really f- you know fulfilled its promise in, in a lot of areas so far. Now of course there's lots of studies going on, but one of the areas where where it definitely has is is is, is uh, allopurinol because we know that patients who have a a, a certain genomic marker, uh, the HLA five. 5801 allele um, and, um, are much more likely to develop allopurinol hypersensitivity syndrome. And patients who tend to have that genomic marker are patients of Southeast Asian descent, uh, Han Chinese, Korean, and Thai. And then African American patients uh, uh, can also uh, are at higher risk of having this gen- genomic marker. So in those patients that 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 you're 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 considering starting uh, allopurinol in, it is reasonable. And the guidelines do conditionally recommend testing for this HL. A B 5801 allele prior to starting allopurinol therapy, and if it exists, uh, you, uh, you, um, then you just need to start in very very low doses and watch them very very closely. Or you may and this may be a patient where febuxostat may, may be a better option in, in those patients as we kind of talk about things. So. Um, hyper hyperdesensitization can be done in patients who just have a simple rash, um, and, I, and uh, uh, um, it, it has been published in several studies that is reasonable to try. It, uh, again, uh, this is something where pharmacists, I think, can really help because, again, I think the average primary care physician or even rheumatologist is not going to have a lot of information on how to do so, and there's a couple of outpatient uh, strategies to get that done as well. Eureka Surix, drugs that, that increase the, the excretion of uric acid, uh, are, are conditionally recommended against, and the reason for is is they're, they're either very expensive or just really not tolerated all that well in, in, in these patients. And so um, they, have, they have really kind of fairly low efficacy, uh, they, and, and they have a lot of safety issues as well as cost. So uh, the guidelines basically do not uh, generally recommend the use of Eureka um over the drugs like allopurinol, and you really would use them only if you really had no other choice because because, again, they're just not well-tolerated. The new one, Lesurinad, that came out four or five years ago was super expensive. And so it's just, yeah, there's not a lot of not a lot of benefit and costs and side effects seem to be an issue. So how do you deal with somebody who has an acute gouty flare? So someone who comes into the emergency room or maybe even your pharmacy and says, yeah, my toe is swollen up and it really, really, really hurts. And while I've never personally had gout, thank Thank goodness, and hope I never do. Uh, you know, they say that that it is exquisitely painful. It's one of the most painful. Uh, uh, um, uh conditions that, that uh, the, the primary care doctor will, will encounter is, is uh, acute gouty arthritis flare. Um, all three uh, of uh, anti-inflammatory management strategies, colchicine, non-steroidals, and glucocorticoids are all appropriate. And the guidelines really don't recommend one or another. They basically say you just have to kind of take a look at the patient and just, and just pick one uh, um, uh, when, you know, as, as the case uh, uh, shows, um, I would say that, you know, if someone has a history of uh, uh, gastric ulcers, or they're on a lot of, um, um, uh, anticoagulants, maybe non-steroidals aren't the best choice in those patients. Um, if you had a patient with severe renal insufficiency or uh, on a statin, um, um, you want to take a little care with colchicine. I'm, I'm not saying you couldn't use colchicine, but the, but the uh, colchicine-induced myopathy is something you have to watch out for. And uh, In patients with renal insufficiency, colchicine can can, can cause uh, neutropenia as, it, as the drug builds up. And then, of course, you can use a short cord of steroids, even injectable steroids, if the, if the patient, uh, if, for example, has a has a a, a knee or, or another joint that is is easily accessible by needle you can actually just inge- inject uh, uh local a uh, topical um, um um glucocorticoids and they tend to work pretty good as well um but again the guidelines don't recommend one over another and 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 any of them are reasonable the the big issue there is the sooner that you can start treatment the better the outcomes and that's true pretty much across the board with with all these medications so it's not something you want to wait several days before starting therapy Really want to start therapy within the first 24 to 36 hours if at all possible uh, the guidelines recommend that ice and not heat has actually been shown to, to improve symptoms so that's that's something uh, that, that is conditionally recommended and then something that that my guess is the that that the average of uh, community pharmacist or even hospital pharmacists is probably not going to see is there are uh, uh, some of these super duper expensive biologic drugs like anakinra that have been used for for acute gout and that they're probably not going to be used in most areas outside of a a trial protocol or um, an academic medical center. So unless you're practicing those areas, you're probably unlikely to see this. What can the patient do to, to decrease their risk of, of, of gouty arthritis flares? Um, they do, the guidelines do recommend limiting alcohol intake, limiting high fructose corn syrup intake has actually been uh, shown to, to uh, increase your gas level. So for probably a variety of reasons, trying to limit that's a good idea. Um, um, limiting purine intake and, of course, a weight loss program. And all of those are conditionally recommended uh, as lifestyle modifications in patients with, with gout. Uh, they do not recommend vitamin C supplementation. There's been kind of some noise that that high levels of vitamin C might help, but it hasn't really been shown to do so. So it's actually conditionally recommended against. Um, So that's something to kind of keep in mind. And then finally, for the pharmacist, the management of concurrent medications. There are several medications that can actually improve or, or decrease the body's ability to excrete uric acid. For example, the thiazide diuretics block. Uh, uric acid excretion. And so if you had somebody with bad gout uh, and they also have hypertension, hydrochlorothiazide is probably not the best drug to put them on. And the guidelines do recommend conditionally that switching someone who has gout with hypertension to an alternative antihypertensive when feasible is, is, is reasonable to do. Which one would you pick in that pace? Well, the guidelines recommend Losartan, which, is we all know, is probably not coming back on the market anytime soon. But 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 um, if it does come back on the market or you're able to get Losartan, Losartan. Losartan is actually the the, uh, the preferentially recommended uh, antihypertensive in patients with gout because losartan, unlike all the other uh, ARBs as well as unlike uh, ACE inhibitors, has been shown to increase uric acid excretion by about 20 to 30 percent. Um, in patients who have hypertriglyceridemia, um, um, uh, some have advocated adding things like phenofibrate. The new guidelines actually recommend against adding that to gout regardless of these activity. And that's largely because its effect on uric acid has recently been shown to be kind of minimal. So, uh, yeah, and and we know the benefit of, of uh uh, uh, the fibrates in patients with cardiovascular disease is far less than people with statins. So really, there's going to be the very rare patient um, who would who has maybe only hypertriglyceridemia that you might be able to use the combo uh, with. But its it side effects and and the fact that it it doesn't have a lot of other benefit besides just lowering triglycerides is, is what it has people done that. So so that's kind of the guidelines and in, in a nutshell. Um, you know, again, uh, it, you know, gout's something I'm very interested in and and always have been. Um, I think it's something that pharmacists, Run into all the time, and because it's it's a rheumatologic disorder that is um, um, uh, treated mostly actually by primary care docs. Most gout patients are not treated by uh, um, a, a rheumatologist. I think there's a lot of room to go as far as education and making sure that 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 primary care providers are really up to date on what the guidelines say to, to provide you know the optimum therapy with these patients. So as always, uh, you know this. This and all podcasts are are brought to you by uh, CE Impact. Um, as you know, CE Impact has uh, a uh, some great op, um, opportunities and, and, and great programs. Uh, really, uh, virtually live when we get back to doing things live again, and uh, uh, things like this podcast, things like the Q Friday uh, uh, activities, all are worth CE. And I hope um, I think all of them are, are worth your time and 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 worth looking at because I think they're able to deliver a lot of good information. To you in a short period of time and and information that I think really impacts your practice. So let's uh, hear a little bit about the CEI Impact people uh, right now.
1: Hey, Pharmacy Podcast Nation, are you tired of searching for meaningful CE? CE Impact brings learning to you. a continuing education subscription service. That's right, no more searching. It comes directly to your inbox, and it's really good. Subscribe today at ceimpact.com to receive a Hot Topic CE course on the first of every month. You'll also receive bonus content and tools to implement your learning. Plus, participate in a live journal club Continuing education on the second Wednesday of every month to keep up on evidence-based information. If you want to keep searching for good CE, you might or might not find it, and you'll waste a lot of time searching. Or you can sign up today to get CE Impact's subscription service and have all the CE you need when you need it. It's that easy. Once again, go to ceimpact.com. And sign up for the subscription service. Don't waste another minute. CEimpact.com. Let the learning come to you.
0: So to wrap up, um, you know, gout is something you're going to see. Gout is 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 common. Um, there's a lot of things that, that I think pharmacists can do to to optimize uh, uh, the the treatment of these patients, making sure they're on the appropriate urate lowering therapy, making sure that dose is correct and they're at treat the target, making sure they have a plan for when they develop an acute gouty arthritis attack and how to deal with that. Uh, trying to uh, emphasize lifestyle modifications and uh, when possible adjunctive medications like if we get it back, Losartan that, that, that can help uh, decrease uh, uric acid levels more. So that's it for this week of, of um, uh, uh, Game Changers Clinical Conversations. Uh, please, uh, join, please join me next week. We'll have uh, some great topics coming up in the next several weeks. And remember, uh, time flies. I don't know where it's going, but today is the most important day of all. Thanks very much.